1: Coming up on DTNS, a Swiss student adds USB-C to an iPhone, a detailed look at Tesla's racial harassment lawsuit, and an amazing natural language processing advance from Microsoft and NVIDIA. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, October 12th, 2021 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt.
2: And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Roger Shang, the show's producer.
1: And joining us, technology contributor to ABC News, author and host of the Tech John podcast, Stephanie Humphrey, a.k.a. Tech Life Steph. So happy
3: to be here. So excited for this conversation. Oh, I'm so glad to finally
1: get to talk to you and have you on the show and everything. I've really been enjoying the Tech John. It's been so fun listening.
3: Thank you. And thank you for all of your support. I mean, it's been really, you know, integral to the success of the show so far, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. So let's just keep this thing going. Yeah, yeah,
1: keep it going. Um, And Stephanie is also still here, even though on Good Day Internet, we were talking about elephant messes. (laughs) Uh, If you'd like to hear that conversation, become a member at our Patreon, patreon.com slash DTNS.
2: That is where you can join our top patrons like Mike McLaughlin, Miss Music Teacher, and GMC Smith.
1: Let's start with a few tech things you should know.
2: Microsoft said that its Azure cloud service mitigated a 2.4 terabytes per second distributed denial of service attack at the end of August, the largest DDoS attack recorded to date. Senior program manager for Azure networking Amir Dahan said that the attack was from a botnet of approximately 70,000 bots, primarily across the Asia Pacific region, and identified the target only as an Azure customer in Europe. Another Microsoft tidbit, the Windows subsystem for Linux is now available as an app you can download from the Microsoft Store in Windows 11.
1: One Password launched a new feature for securely sharing login credentials called Password Secure Sharing Tool, P-S-S-T, a.k.a. psst. It is reportedly one of the company's most requested features. allows for sharing a generated link that other people can access even without an account. Generated links can be set to expire within an hour or last up to 30 days.
2: Apple sent out invites to a special event to stream live October 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The tech press anticipates that Apple may announce new M1 MacBooks, a new Mac Mini, even new AirPods. The invited video called the event unleashed.
1: Unleashed. Magic Leap announced it's readying the release of the Magic Leap 2 AR headset next year for select customers using it in an early access program with general availability to follow. That's right. I said Magic. Magic Leap. Magic Leap initially was developing a consumer-friendly AR headset, but it has changed the headset's name from Magic Leap 1 to the Magic Leap 1 Creator Edition, and then abandoned the consumer business in 2020, brought in a new CEO, and now it's very enterprise-focused, and apparently getting enterprise customers. So there you go.
2: In the Apple versus Epic lawsuit that will never end, Judge (laughs) Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers largely ruled in Apple's favor. The only exception was a permanent injunction that stated Apple could could no longer prohibit developers from pointing users to outside payment systems, with Apple having until early December to revise its App Store rules. Apple now plans to appeal that decision, not surprising, asking the judge for stay on the injunction through the appeals process. Epic previously announced it was appealing the decision as well. And Google has countersued Epic Games in its dispute, saying that Epic willfully breached its Play Store developer agreement when it added in-app purchases to Fortnite.
1: Yeah, so not a surprise. We expected the appeals, and now they're here. All right, let's talk a little more about new products from Tile, Sarah.
2: Let's do this. Tyla announced a new line of tracking devices, including new versions of its Bluetooth trackers, the Mate, the Pro, the Slim, and the Sticker, available now. The new models have louder rings, three years of battery life, and increased range of up to 250 feet. But Tile also announced the Tile Ultra coming in early 2022, which uses Ultra Wideband, or UWB, in addition to Bluetooth. Apple's AirTag and Samsung's SmartTag Plus products both use UWB as well. But Tile Ultra will work on both Android and iOS. UWB can offer more precise location than Bluetooth. And in fact, Tile will let you use augmented reality to find Tile Ultras. Tile also announced some new services for its trackers. Lost and Found lets you scan a QR code on the back of new Tile models, except the sticker, of course because it's a sticker scanning pulls up whatever contact information that the tile owner provides. So you can get the device back to them. And there's also an abuse prevention feature called scan and secure. That's coming in early 2022 that will let any Android and iOS user use the tile app to scan. If any unknown tile devices are in their vicinity, you don't need a tile account for this. And using the app won't make you part of the Tile Find network, unless, of course, you want to be part of it.
1: Yeah, this is uh, interesting on the tech side of UWB getting more adoption. Uh, UWB, like you said, is a more precise uh, finder. That's why Apple uses it, that's why Samsung uses it. And the more companies that use it, the wider that adoption, and the better those networks will work uh, for everybody. We've got to know a little more about that. But that scan and secure feature is tile leveling up, not catching up. Uh, they're catching up with UWB, but I think that scan and secure is really interesting. Uh, to say, hey, you, we we won't track you. You don't even have to. We don't. You don't have to give us any information. You can just find out if there are any tile trackers around you, just in case. Stephanie, what do you think of that?
3: That is, um, it's, it's interesting though, you know, you made that distinction between catching up and leveling, leveling up. And I, I'd be curious if, if tile had leveled up before air tags were released, would they still be in the Apple stores? You know, like would Apple have even needed, I mean, not that AirTags haven't been in development for years and maybe this was inevitable, sure, but sure. you know, if this was something that, that could have been done, you know. Two or three years ago, would this have made a difference in in their positioning um, inside the Apple Store? So. Um You'll never. I guess we'll never know, but I think this definitely changes the game uh, because it be it can be used across platforms. So um, it'll it'll be interesting to see if they bounce back um, from that hit they took when AirTags were released uh, because they are cross-platform. But but definitely that uh, security feature I think is going to be probably the game changer because if you are looking at tile versus air tags and you need something to sort of dif- differentiate, uh, which one you choose to buy, that would probably be it.
2: You know, it wasn't that long ago where, uh, yeah, on my, on my set of keys, I had a, ha- had a little tile tracker and it came in handy a few times. Uh, and I eventually was like, eh, I don't know. I'm not using all that much. And so I, 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 I took it off my keychain. but, but it's, it's, it's that, early adopter issue, you know, I kind of liken it to fitness trackers. You know, you, you had, you had the fitness trackers of the early years and now everybody's got a fitness tracker. And so when you're that first company saying, well, hold on, we, we champion this movement. Now we just <laughs> we have to keep up. Here. <laughs> yeah. Like air tags are great, but we're cross platform and we were here first and we've got all this new stuff. So, you know, good on you tile. Yeah. yeah. Keep,
1: keep it up and that cross platform. I think you're right Steph. I think that that is one of the keys uh, to keep in tile in the game. Apple has added USB-C to its iPads, but not its iPhones. The idea of USB-C in an iPhone has come to the fore once again recently, as Europe considers making USB-C ports mandatory on phones and other devices. One defense of Apple not using USB-C is that the ports may not be as workable as lightning in Apple's phone designs. So, Swiss Federal Institute of Technology Robotics Engineering student Ken Pillanel decided to put that idea to to the test. Back in May, Pillanel posted that he had succeeded at getting an iPhone battery to charge from a USB-C port that he had created, but the connection was too large to fit inside an iPhone. So it was a proof of concept that it could be done, but again, not fitting within the design. However, he found there's a chip in the lightning end of third-party cables, not in the lightning end of the Apple first party, but in the third-party cables made by Apple Called the C94 chip. Pilonel reverse engineered that C94 part and created his own flexible printed circuit board version of it that he can fit inside an iPhone. He connected that reverse engineered flexible PCB to USB C port on one end and the phone's lightning apparatus on the other. Essentially, he squeezed the adapter cable down into a small bendy circuit board and stuffed it inside an iPhone X somehow. An iPhone X, too, not a Max, a 10, leaving room for the USB C port to replace the Lightning port. And in the pictures, it looks just like an iPhone, except has a USB C port. He now has an iPhone X with a working USB C port that transfers data and charges the battery just like the Lightning port does, because it's essentially just going through to the Lightning apparatus. Pillanel plans to post a video showing details of how he reverse engineered that C94 chip uh, into a flexible PCB and how he was able to fit it inside the iPhone X. I think that's the part I'm, I'm most interested in. Obviously, this is just a very interesting hardware hack uh, from a really clever student. But it also, to me, it was like, well, Apple, he showed you, you could do it. And he didn't, he didn't remove the battery. He didn't, he didn't remove anything. He's able to fit it in there.
3: Yeah, it's definitely I mean, like shots fired, basically, <laughs> uh, for Apple, because, you know, I, I don't think they have any choice but to respond. I mean, whether that, I don't know that that necessarily means we see, you know, an iPhone 14 with with a USB-C port, but but they have to say something, I think. Um, so it'll be curious what that response is. I'm actually interested in what the, um, the um, oh my God, the word just slipped out of my head, the, the people that make. Um, fraudulent iPhones. Like, uh, what is the word I'm looking for, guys?
1: The, the fraudsters like, is all I could think of.
3: <laughs> well, like the 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 it, there's the a specific. Copycats. It's it's yeah yeah the 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 um knockoffs, a knock-offs. Specific, the knockoffs, knock-offs. Yeah, yeah that that wasn't the word but there's I'll think of it and then I'll sp- I'll spit it out like. 10 minutes from now, yeah, randomly, but, but to. yeah, the, the knockoff iPhones, you know, are, are we going to start seeing this? Cause he was very detailed in his first video on, on how this could be done. So he kind of walked you through step-by-step. Step. Um, I have to think that
2: somebody else is going to try this sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. Some kind it's of also,
2: you know, there's this ongoing question, uh, of course, especially since the newest iPad minis, you know, USB-C port. And everyone went, ooh, okay, what's going to come next in this Apple announcement about iPhones? No USB-C port, lightning port still. And it's... there. I'm sure whether or not it's great for the consumer, Apple has its reasons for this being the case. Is it because there are just so many lightning cables that Apple had collected several years ago that they're just going to stay with it for a few more iPhone cycles? You know, is it the fact that Having a proprietary, um, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, charging uh, apparatus is advantageous to Apple somehow. I mean, I, I doubt that that really makes all that much sense to the company at this point. It's a mystery to me.
1: Yeah, I, I actually don't buy that Apple just wants to sell you more lightning accessories or they would ke- they would have kept it in the iPad. Uh, right. So there, there's more right. to it than just that. Uh, and, and I used to think like, oh, it probably in a phone, it's smaller. It's, it's harder to fit in and keep that battery, uh, as big. This shows that it's not just that maybe there's something else still there. I'd be curious what it is, uh, what the reason is, but, uh, it obviously can fit if you, if you're a clever Swiss robotics engineering student. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Can be done. Well, Twitter launched that feature that lets you remove a follower without blocking them, a.k.a. the soft block. We talked about this back on the show. This is a feature that is now rolled out to you if you so desire to use it. So to use the feature, you need to go to your own profile, then click followers, look at your followers, find the follower that you want to remove, then click the three-dot menu to bring up the option, remove this follower. The follower won't be notified that you did this but will stop seeing your posts in their feed. Maybe they'll just never think about you again. Maybe they will, but this is what it does. Unlike an actual block, they can find your posts on Twitter if they go looking for them while logged in. They can DM you, and they can follow you again if they see, oh, wait a second, I thought I was following this person. Let me follow them again. Previously, you could have the same effect by blocking somebody and then unblocking them That is what a lot of folks on Twitter have done for years. And that's what a lot of folks brought up when Twitter announced this feature. Like, well, we can still do this. But it wasn't something that was officially a Twitter feature. Now it is. This obviously isn't good for all situations. But do we think that there are situations it is good for?
3: So it I, we we were having the conversation about this earlier, um, and it the idea that this wouldn't deter a, a serious stalker, but maybe a casual stalker would lose interest. It seems though, now that the more I'm thinking about it, as you were reading, it seems though all they would have to do is give users the ability to mute themselves to other people. That's what I said. That's that it. is, exactly I mean, this is basically what, the what that should be. Does Without going through this whole, I mean, it was a whole lot that you just read there. Yes. And I go, oh, you you follow, but you don't unfollow, but you don't block, but you listen. Just let me
2: mute myself to right. that user. The and self mute the problem. Yeah, this and then the, the, the user just thinks you just haven't been around lately. Exactly,
3: exactly. Twitter, Jack, are you listening? Just let people <laughs> oh, mute the themselves. Ideas. That's this, it. Yeah.
1: This does seem overly engineered. As a solution, because what, what, what I immediately thought was, well, if you mute yourself to the other person, then they can't find your posts when they're logged in. But that just leads me to the question of like, but why would you want them to with this, this new soft block feature lets them find your posts. If they're logged in on Twitter out by just going directly to your profile, they just won't show up in their newsfeed. So is there a reason you would want that?
2: It, it's, th- think I, I get why, you know, and, and of course this is, you know, sort of known as, as the soft block. I get why there would be a situation where you think oh, if I block this person, it's going to become a thing. Right. I really want to avoid that conversation or any confrontation that might, you know, right. result. Uh, in, you and know, if they and, can't get to your person-
1: profile, then they'll know. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: So so I so I, I get why this could be helpful. But I feel like if someone is if someone is trying to cause trouble and, you know, anybody who's on the Internet long enough, we, we all know who that, you know, those people are. They're going to see this and know what you did because they understand how Twitter works and it'll anger them. You know, I'm not saying, oh, this is a horrible feature and Twitter is worse off because of it. But it it seems like a very passive aggressive feature.
3: Yeah, I think they felt like they needed to do something. Um this may not necessarily have been that something, but it's something, I guess. And 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 it is I think it sounds like it is more um meant to not stir up uh, yeah. an aggressive stalker. You know, like you said, uh, uh, Sarah, you don't want to piss anybody off. I, I've had that happen where people were aware that I, you know, blocked them or unfollowed them or whatever. And then why did you da, 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 da? So it's 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 that thing. But it I don't know that it's going to be as effective as they think it's going to. Yeah,
1: be. Yeah, it's ghosting it's, people it's, on Twitter. You just sort of just-
2: yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's yeah. like a light kick from the chat room. Yeah, you know, yeah. just just a little kick.
1: I, I, yeah, I, the, the only thing I will say is in Twitter's defense is they tested this first. It isn't like they're rolling this out out of nowhere. They, so they must've found something in their test that showed it was used or or proved useful. Uh,
3: Yes. Self mute
1: would help much better though. Listen to Steph, please. All right. Hey, folks, uh, if you like our conversations here and want more of these kinds of conversations, do I have a show for you? The Tech John podcast featuring Rob Dunwood, Terrence Gaines and Stephanie Humphrey takes a second look at the week's tech headlines delivered from an African-American perspective. Uh, you can follow it over at the techjohn.com. That's T-E-C-H-J-A-W-N dot com. Go do it now. Monday, October 4th, an eight-person federal jury awarded $136.9 million in damages to Owen Diaz. Owen Diaz worked as an elevator operator at Tesla's Fremont, California factory from 2015 to 2016. In the case, Diaz described racial slurs, swastikas, scratched into bathrooms, derogatory cartoons, and his suit... Claimed that Tesla subjected him to a hostile work environment, failed to prevent him from being racially harassed, and was negligent in supervision and retention of an employee that caused harm. The jury found in favor of all three claims. Now, Tesla argued that because a staffing agency employed Mr. Diaz, Tesla wasn't at fault. They were trying to say, hey, it wasn't us. You should go after the staffing agency. In a blog post after the case, Tesla's vice president of People, Valerie Capers-Workman, said the company ensured its staffing agencies took action against the complaints, but wrote, quote, we do recognize that in 2015 and 2016, we were not perfect. Reuters noted Friday that in a 2002 case, State Farm versus Campbell, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that punitive damages should not generally exceed 10 times compensatory damages and you heard me say 136.9 million earlier the punitive damages are 130 million 6.9 is what's called compensatory damages so it was 19 times in this case therefore tesla has grounds to appeal they could say look that supreme court case says it shouldn't be that much and tesla is likely to appeal however reuters does notes that the guidelines don't need to apply if the misconduct has a widespread impact and is found to be highly offensive or reprehensible, uh, something that Diaz's attorneys made the case for in this case. So Tesla might appeal, but they might not win. It's not the only case like this either. Melvin Berry won a $1 million judgment in arbitration. That one didn't go to court. It was arbitration. That happened in May uh, for being called racial slurs by his supervisor, along with other misconduct, and a class action suit. Against Tesla for race-based harassment is pending in California. Uh, Stephanie, you guys talked about this uh, on the Tech John this week, but mm-hmm. kind of give us uh, the you know the the top line view of what what y'all are talking about.
3: So it it just appears that Tesla's record on this kind of thing is pretty abysmal. Um, across the board, I, I I said on the on the uh, podcast that I have not heard one positive story coming out of a Tesla facility around race relations ever. You know since Tesla facilities existed, and and it's just it it's disheartening that they don't seem to care about the optics necessarily, even just the optics, um, because their response to it has always been you know very very dismissive, very you know placing the blame. You know he's not an employee. What difference does that make? He's in your facility. You know he is, for all intents and purposes, working for you. You know this is this is the the opportunity to step up and and deal with this and and create an environment where all of your employees feel welcomed and and you're just whiffing it like every single time and and it doesn't even seem like you care. So it it's it's problematic from that standpoint. And then two, you know, one of the things we talked about as well was the idea that we get a lot of comments on on our show about you know why make everything about race <laughs> this is why you know and and you know, when when you see a story like this and and when you hear of someone you know finally getting to the point where they they brought this lawsuit that's been a long time coming for that individual you know this guy needed his job he sucked up A lot, you know, and the idea that this is some frivolous thing and, you know, there was a whole – even on on Tesla's blog, they had a whole lot of rebuttal statements to, you know, what Mr. Diaz was claiming and and it's just like – You you gotta look at it from a more humanistic standpoint because people are going to work every single day being subjected to this type of thing, and it gets to that breaking point. I actually listened to um, uh, Mr. Diaz and his attorney were on NPR last week um, in an interview, and I I I I happened to be in the car listening, and I caught his interview, and he talked about the breaking point for him to to file this lawsuit was that you know his son because they tried to use the fact that well he got his son job here too. So clearly he wasn't that, uh, you know, oppressed, but the breaking point for him was when his son heard of supervisor calling him a racial slur, you know? And it's just like, why would we have to get to that point where you are, you know, being demoralized in front of your child, you know, to, to, to get to this point. And, and so it, it just, it, it really, I think the the messaging I would love to leave with people is that, you know, believe people when they say that these types of things are happening. Um, you know, I don't know what the solution is because human nature kind of is what it is. You can't legislate people's hearts and minds, but I think um settlements like this create consequences for people. I think that's the only thing that some people are ever going to respond to is the fact that there is an actual consequence in place for this behavior so that they understand that that behavior is not appropriate for this particular workplace.
1: Yeah, I I, I can actually see the Tesla legal justification of like, hey, if the staffing agency is the problem, they should pay the fine, not us. I get that. But Tesla should also be saying, you know, we tried to take action. We tried to push the staffing agency. This was wrong. We won't let it happen again. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I think that that is bothersome as well, right?
3: Yeah, they didn't do any of that. And thankfully, I guess, you know... Their their own argument kind of got used against them in this particular case because they're 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 kind of harping on the idea that this is a contractor this is a contractor but because he was a contractor he was able to sue them right. the the person that got the million dollars had to be forced into arbitration there are a few other people that um are claiming they weren't aware that they were even you know that was a part of their contract as a Tesla employee so you know who knows how many other of these cases aren't even seeing the light of day uh, because of that force arbitration clause in the employee contract and because people are just, you know, scared and they want to shut up
2: and keep their jobs. Yeah. Well, Microsoft and Nvidia have created the Megatron Turing Natural Language Generation Model or MTNLP, which they call the most powerful monolithic transformer language model trained to date. The company say it's unmatched in its reading comprehension, its common sense reasoning, and natural language inter- inferences. The system should make it faster and also less expensive to train language models going forward. The MTNLP runs on 280 A100 GPUs, has 105 layers, and 530 billion parameters. Generally, the larger the number of parameters, the more sophisticated and nuanced a model can be. But as we all know, a model is only as good as its training data. So what was it trained on? Well, the MTNLP was trained on 270 billion tokens of English language data drawn largely from an open source collection of data sets known as the Pile. The Pile gets its data from academic sources like PubMed and Arvix, as well as communities like Stack Exchange, Wikipedia, also GitHub. Microsoft and NVIDIA also supplemented this with a crawl of a large collection of news stories and social media posts. You need that last kind of real-world data to make the models work more like a human would work. But unfortunately, that also means that sometimes they work too much like humans. Microsoft and NVIDIA said, quote, Our observations with MTNLG are that the model picks up stereotypes and biases from the data on which it is trained. Microsoft and NVIDIA are committed to working on addressing this problem. They also say they encourage quote, continued research to help in quantifying the bias of the model, and that any use of Megatron Turing in production must ensure that proper measures are put in place to mitigate and minimize potential harm to users, and also follow Microsoft's responsible AI principles.
1: Yeah, I th- this is a great example of of wh- what is good and bad about AI, right? They they're pulling from great sources: archive, PubMed, Stack Exchange. Uh, they also need to pull from social media posts because you want it to work like a human. So you need to get that natural language that humans do that you don't write in a in a medical publication or something like that. But when you do that, you pull in the patterns of a human, which means you're introducing bias into the algorithm because humans are biased, uh, which I don't think means we shouldn't be studying this. I think Microsoft is exactly right to, on front Street say like, look, this definitely has bias in it. We need, we want your help in figuring out how to deal with that. And also what they didn't say, but what I would add is, and that means you should make sure you don't use this in situations where you don't want that bias (laughs) to have an effect. Right. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. It's, 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 you know, you, you can't solve for human behavior basically. Um, But I would be, I'd be curious to know what it takes to create a data set and if that was something that was a possibility, like, could we create a humanistic data set of our own to train the system on, you mm-hmm. know, it seems like the, the the volume of data is probably too great to maybe consider that, but, but it, it, it's a curious question.
1: Yeah. You need, you need bulk when you want to have a good training data set. And Microsoft even said that they curated this. They, they did go in and try to get rid of some stuff, but I, like you say, it's just so big that, even human human curation still is done by humans. Right. So they're going to miss stuff. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, if you have feedback on anything that we talk about on the show, anything that you want us to talk about on a future show or have talked about on a past show, do send the feedback our way feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you in advance. We'd also like to thank a few brand new bosses. And they are Arthur, Kevin Brock, David Grizzly Smith, and John Suppala. All just started backing us on Patreon. So thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, David. And thank you, John.
1: Hey, I like that. Brand new bosses. Uh, good, good to have four of you. And I know we had a little long weekend here. Uh, I give you time. But uh, the, the slate's clear now, folks. If you want to be the brand new boss tomorrow, now's your chance. Patreon.com slash DTNS.
2: Indeed. Also, thanks. Big thanks to Stephanie Humphrey for being with us today of the Tech Ooh. John podcast. Stephanie, let folks know where they can keep up with your work. You can find me all around the web at Tech Life Steph,
3: and you can check out the uh, work I'm doing in digital citizenship on TillDeathYouTweet.com.
2: Excellent. Well, we are live on this show Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. You can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Please join us live if you can. Tom's off tomorrow working on Know a Little More. Rich is here with me along with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then.
0: This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com.